Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Toby. We're the co-founders of Ask Us For Ideas, or Alfie as most people call it, where we help the world's most ambitious businesses, large or small, to connect with a collection of the best and most exciting creative agencies from around the world. Being at the intersection of these brands and creative teams for the best part of a decade has allowed us to get to know some truly exceptional people. This podcast, Private Views, aims to shine a light on that, with the first series publishing conversations inside some of the industry's most revered creative studios, digging deep, looking beyond their portfolios, and into their unique experiences and thought processes. In this episode, we meet the US heavyweight agency Collins, with offices on both the east and west coast of the states, launched 10 years ago by industry legend Brian Collins. They call themselves a strategy and brand experience design company, thinking not just about creating beautiful design and identity work, but about how design can change the consumer experience and transform their clients' companies. Collins' creative partners include Benjamin Crick and Kareen Sukup in San Francisco, and Nick Ace and Tom Wilder in New York City. The only ideas that will work in the future will seem apparently ridiculous in the present. So you have to put stuff in front of clients and go, that's ridiculous. Like, we would never do that, but that's where you have to get them to. Compared to the massive network agencies they often compete against, of 50 people, Collins is relatively small, but their size is no reflection of their reach. There are few agencies out there, if any, whose work is seen by so many people on a daily basis. In fact, today you, and likely a few billion other people, have probably interacted with at least one of the brands they've worked with. Spotify, Nike, Microsoft, Airbnb, Dropbox, Coca-Cola, Facebook, MailChimp, a list so impressive that Collins was recognised as AdAge's first design agency of the year. Our producer, David Michon, popped into their New York office, taking a seat amongst Collins's not-so-secret weapon, their wide-ranging collection of books, to discuss why their library can outdo the internet why it's best not to fit in, and their impressive track record of design work that can grow with a company. My name is Tom Wilder, and I'm creative director here at Collins. So just curious for you to kind of tell me a bit about what actually it's like to, to work here from the perspective of an employee. Some late nights, presumably, as you yeah. said. Um, yeah, I think though the uh, I'll start off by caveating why I think late nights exist here, and it's mostly just from the passion I think that people have here uh, for their careers. Um, I personally love what I do every day, and I think everyone, if you ask them uh, back beyond our library, uh, they share that exact same passion. So I think when when I talk about kind of the late nights and the hard work that we do here, it's all for the sake of kind of um, bettering design and then doing that craft that we were talking about at scale. Um, Because that's really the thing that um, I think makes Collins uh, extremely different is that attention to detail, the craft, the relationships we build with clients and then apply that at scale. Uh, yeah, what do you, you know, just to kind of expand on that, sure. what, what is it that you think really defines a, a kind of Collins point of view, especially, uh, you know, having done some kind of work by yourself, mm-hmm. what, what does it kind of mean for you to be part of this environment and work with this team? I think it's good that you brought that up because I actually think we're style agnostic. Um, you know, I think a lot of studios have a, a house style uh, and that's okay. Um, because usually it's run by kind of a visionary founder or something like that. And, and Brian is a visionary founder, of course. Um, but I, I do have to um, say that I think um, 
what makes us different is actually the fact that we are kind of category agnostic. We're also agnostic when it comes to design sensibilities. Like if you look across our website or across all the different projects that we have, it doesn't specifically look like one thing or the other. It looks like what's appropriate for that client that came to us and the kind of strategic and business problem that they were trying to solve. Um, so I think that that is maybe our unique point of view is that we really try to listen. Um, I think you know far too often maybe we don't spend enough time listening to clients in our industry. We think we know best because we're practitioners. But really, I think the best insights actually come from a lot of the conversations you have with clients early on. And if you actually just listen to them and you hear them out, then you actually are able to draw those kind of interesting insights out and build something that you never kind of thought was possible in solving their business well, uh, problem well, while kind of creating amazing design. Um, I think there are probably a lot of agencies that uh, aspire to be style agnostic. Mm. Um, uh, I wonder how you feel you've managed that. What What are the kind of key elements um, within kind of Collins that that have uh, provided for an ability to? You ask you like, what the secret sauce is. Yeah, what's the secret sauce? <laughs> um, I think you know. Actually, you're sitting in it. Uh, is one of them. Uh, I think our approach to how we get to solutions, um, speaking visually um, and strategically, starts in this library a lot of times. Um, the, the challenge with the internet today, as amazing as the internet has become with things like Pinterest and Google and Instagram and everything like that, Unfortunately, what has happened a little bit is that things have become more and more homogenized. And so what this library does an excellent job of is you're able to find um, things that have never been documented on the internet before, uh, which means you're able to find ideas that maybe and stories and different narratives um, that people haven't necessarily seen before or um, are applied in a new way that maybe people had never thought was possible. Um, so I think that our, our kind of process, our thought process, is one of those big things. So there's a rich quality of, of writing and thinking here, just to, to inspire you, the work of Carl Jung, the writing of, uh, fascinated by fiction, the, the science fiction writing of Harlan Ellison, one of my favorite writers, science fiction writers. Um, and so what the, the idea is, is you've got to get your mind out of the rivulets that we find ourselves in. And if we can go to a piece of poetry, or you can go to a piece of fiction, if something you haven't read before, hopefully it'll kick you out of the patterns that sort of, that kind of block us from, from discovering new things. Yeah, because uh, I, I think there are kind of two interesting elements. One is, um, one is obviously that many people start their research on the internet versus in, versus in a library. Um, and... Uh, the other is that often a, a kind of a design agency or, an, you know, or I mean, you're an experience agency, but, uh, you know, broadly speaking, yeah. we'll have uh, books that are either kind of graphic design objects themselves or books about graphic design uh, or, you know, whatever is. Yeah, more we have them, but, but, yeah. They're, but they're the other side of the library. Yeah. And what we hopefully do before we begin an assignment, we, ha we have to find stories, narratives, ideas that have, that have right now have little to do with what something looks like, so we can find a new idea. And so we might find a piece of poetry that inspires us, or some note that someone wrote, or some essay that is, 
that opens our head to looking at different things. Otherwise, the problem with visuality is we're so familiar with so much of this stuff, we keep on going back to the same well. And if you, you know, if you read, uh, you know, a science fiction story by Harlan Ellison about, um, about anything that you could write about, it'll put your head, by the time you're done, in a completely different place. If you read um, anything about archetypes in Carl Jung, that'll help you identify probably what, what the stories are that, that, that might sit underneath the problem you've been given, right? Um, and so if you read a piece of poetry, because you have a book on Celtic poetry that's quite magnificent. So it opens up your head to different ways of thinking. And then when you, when you have a different story, I, mean, I think one of the things we, we try to do is because you're trying to be hopefully stylistically or visually agnostic, is if you find the story that you want to tell and you help create that world, you, that, write that world that you want to build for, for, for a company and you invite them into that, whatever that new world is, then you create the visuals, and then you create the symbols, and then you create the systems to help build that world. And that, and 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 they and they might be very different places. A place that's about the future, or the, um, that's about minimal, elegant, like uh, beautiful, relaxed future is going to be very different from a place that's about artistry and musicality um, and, and creativity. And so, the visual expression, the systems, the stories that would come out of that are going to be very different um, depending upon the kind of tale you want to tell. And do you think that's in some ways where Collins kind of fits into this, this industry is, is bringing that perspective or what for you, you know, is the... I'm not particularly interested in fitting in the industry. <laughs> in fact, I'm particularly interested in not fitting in the, in, in, in the industry uh, um, on purpose. Uh, the industry uh, has become a series of tropes, cliches, charts, six steps, you know, um, which we love. Uh, and it, it's been an attempt somehow to tame the power of creativity. Somehow, well, we know it's messy and we know it's complicated. So therefore, we're going to do the five steps that you need toward creativity. Right? I think that gets really, really reductive. So I'm not particularly interested about fitting in the industry. I'm actually much more interested in being an anomaly. And so we're always asking what's the adjacent possible thing? What's, what's the larger question that we could always ask? And that's always led to bigger answers. And so that's one of the reasons why books are interesting, because they always present. Uh, the thing that grabs a great book or great stories is like, it's one question, which is, what happens next? <laughs> right? Well, what happens next? And, and so for us, that's a very similar way that we sort of pursue our, 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 our creative explorations. It's, where else can we go? Where, what else can we do? What happens next? And so you, you're always looking at the problems you're giving in, in, a, larger, in, in a much larger context. You know, a client, I think, sometimes might kind of come into a situation and be like, they uh, think they want a kind of new, you know, logo mark or something. Yeah. What They've got a restricted understanding of, of maybe what, what they need or what the solution to their problem is. Yeah. How, you know, how do you kind of take them on this journey? You use tools like poetry. Um, do you bring them to spaces to kind of get them out of their own box? Sometimes. It, it usually starts in a, in a, in a conversation. Right? So, I always get like, it's always interesting to me. When was the last time you had a conversation where you were like transformed? Like, yeah, that's a good question. Like, 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 oh my God, I've learned something. Um, and I've talked about this once before, but um, when you ask people who work at Apple, like, did you ever see Steve Jobs? And they say, yeah, I saw Steve Jobs all the time. Well, where was he? He was always 
in the cafeteria talking to Johnny live, you know. So the best work is always done in dialogue, right? And so the questions for us and our clients is we ask lots of questions and we get into this place where we're trying to ask the question under the question, right? And usually people that come to us for a change, whatever it might be, an environment, a new identity design, a space they want, a film that they might want, it's always trying, it's always in the need or, or in the search of a larger question. They somehow want to change. They somehow want to be a better version of themselves. They, some, they want to signal that the way the world understands them is not the way they want to be understood. Um, and so it requires you to a real conversation about what their real need is, what their real ambition is in the world. And, and when you can get at that, then the work you end up creating is usually uh, geometrically better. And that means the ability to ask lots of questions and the ability to really listen. I mean, really, really, really listen in, a, in almost an agendaless way to find out what they're really, what they really want to accomplish, what they really want to do. Um, yeah, and that's, and that's usually asking things they don't often know how to articulate. As I was discussing with Tom, I think there's an impressive kind of, uh, uh, or a lot of your clients have really stuck with the kind of work that you've done yeah. and, and absorbed it and brought it to life themselves. I think- Really it, well too. Yeah, I think yeah. there's a lot of times when agencies might kind of produce some amazing work, but maybe it's not kind of executed properly by the in-house team or it lives for a few years and then it kind of fizzles. And that's, I think that's uh, obviously a waste of a lot of money and, and time, which you seem to uh, circumvent or, or create an environment where uh, that, uh, well, that's not the case. Let, let me see if I can talk to all of this stuff without becoming a, a prisoner of language, because you're ultimately talking about buzzwords and contact and connection, and, 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 our, and our, our languages become so empty. Um, I, think we, I think we're probably good at that, because earlier in my career, when I was sort of starting out, I, I had a vision like, well, clients need, this is a really good piece of design that I've created. Why don't they execute it? And, like, and I never understood, like, and it wasn't getting through. And it, w it wasn't until I really was at Ogilvy for a decade when you're working on global brands, you're working on IBM, you're working on American Express, you're working with the Ford Motor Company, you're working with Motorola, you, were, you know, where you be really realize what the consequences are if they get it wrong. You know, like a 1% market share, like drop, or like, like, is damaging. So those companies that are large, they'd be risk averse because like uh, a 1% you know, decrease in revenue in a small company, I'm like, oh, it's okay, we'll pick it up next year. And a major company could change your career. So no wonder they're, they're risk averse you know, uh, by design. But if you find a way to tie what you want to do with their purpose, right? And you can align the vision that you have with the vision that, su that supports the vision that the CEO or the CMO has, then you can do amazing stuff. So Ogilvy, I really learned how to um, really understand what the problem was that the CMO was, was, was really tackling. It's either a scale problem or a growth problem or finding new, finding new customers, right? Where do we source new and more growth? That's the question that they're all looking to answer. And so if you can find a way that your thinking, your strategy, your creative work, your design, your ideas can drive that for them and help them drive that, then they'll listen. And so that's, I think we become good at that. The reason perhaps our creative work sticks is because we blur immediately the boundaries between us and them. 
And so then the creative people who we work with on the client side have a deep interest because we're making it together. So by the time we're done, I don't care if Collins did it, I don't care if they did it, and what ends up happening is that then everyone has ownership of it. And when you own it and it's yours, and you have your thumbprints are all over it, then you'll protect it. So that's, I see that's our job, is to create systems and solutions for, for, for these puzzles that creative people uh, can take ownership of, say it's, you know, it's that they made it. Um, and then when you make it, you protect it. And so we're going to like the fifth year on the design program for Spotify. It still looks as good as it did like six years ago. Uh, Dropbox's program sort of kicking in. Um, a lot of the other brands that we've, we've done, even like 10 years ago, we did um, a lot of uh, work with uh, Microsoft or, or our work with EOS, our, our work with Target, our work with Coca-Cola. I mean, I, I'm really happy that those design systems tr turned out to be not only resilient, but they seem to have gotten stronger. I think the Spotify system's gotten stronger over time. And still, they're still using the basics. We were there this morning. And the bursts that we designed like five years ago are all over their brand new offices down on Wall Street, which they have an amazing office down there. They're in this corporate building, but they blew it all out. So it looks like a building that's like from the Lower East Side. But their graphic system was like everywhere. And that's like five years old now. It's, then it still felt, you know, I'm, I'm complimenting myself. But to me, it, it looked pretty good, which means that, which means that they care. What kind of questions do you, do you, when you're trying to get in the mind of a client, do you have some kind of key questions that you're asking them? Or how is it that you provoke them to, or kind of tease themselves out of their kind of maybe kind of some kind of corporate mindset in which they've entered this, this boardroom to brief the design agency that they've, you know? I, I think it's the idea that you have a notional idea of what a client is. Like, there's no such thing as a client. You know, Tom touched on this. They're just people. They wake up. They have a runny nose. You know, they get you know they get gunk in their eyes. They cough. Um, they've got the same kind of puzzles that you do. And everyone wants to be seen. Everyone wants to be heard. Everyone wants to belong. Everyone knows that they're creative, and everyone wants to be creative, and everyone wants to make a contribution. And if you look at them as people who you can create amazing things and who want to do things of meaning, and you don't look at them as clients, um, but people you can create something extraordinary with, like what you could you, what might we create together here that could be freaking amazing, right? Then the conversation changes. Then you're talking about clients and agency. Those are, those are very limiting views and then you end up if you look at yourself only as an agency then you're you're marooned on your own self-interest if you only look at them as a client then you, you, you you're 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 marooned only on their problems you know so i'm gonna say this design is a, is a known world inside of an unknown world meaning that we have this Clients and us live on this sort of world that we know. We know this language, we know the problems, we know marketing, we know business, we, we know all this stuff. But then there's this unknown stuff that we don't do. And what designers are particularly good at, I think, is living on that frontier between what's known and what's unknown. And so our job is to kind of go off into the unknown in the future and say, hey, you, this is, these are the marching orders you gave us. This is the map that we're going to go off and sort of, let's go and explore over there, see what that's like, and let's bring it back in the known world and say, is that a territory that we want to move into? So you're always rehearsing the future in some way, right? 
And so part of our job is to show and help clients see what those alternative futures are. I mean, really see, like really see the future. You could go here, you could go there, or you could go here. And our job is to go into that unknown and bring it back to the known. Like, hey, this is part of the frontier that you could open up. And so a designer's job in my mind is to always be on that frontier between the known and the unknown. Because it's too unknown, it's too weird, then people won't absorb it and there's no frame of reference to it. It's unfamiliar. But if it's too known, then it's invisible and we don't see it. So we're always on this sense of being on a frontier of something. Um, and that's our job is to get our clients to, to that frontier. Mm -hmm. I hope that didn't sound too gassy. No, that was great. And, that, you know, I just... I guess then how is it that you kind of then provide a solution for them that maintains that spirit um, that doesn't, you know, particularly in a, in a case like, um, you know, in a case like both, I guess, both Spotify and Dropbox, where yeah. there are like some serious competitors, they'll probably load some loads, of, uh, loads yeah, and loads of new ones. Yeah. How Coke. do you, how, yeah, <laughs> Coke, obviously another great example of, yeah. a, of, a, of a market with other kind of power players. Big. So and, and hundreds of teeny small power players. Yeah. You know, it's not that other big competitor necessarily you should be worried about. It's a bunch of small little upstarts who are in, in, in Illinois who's starting some soda brand or, or, or in Brixton, you know, who create some kind of, you know, new drink. You know, those are the ones that you need to keep your eye open because they're the ones who are inventing because they're unburdened from legacy. They go, hey, let's just make this. And they go off and do it. And they'll, they could create an industry in a, in a matter of years. So then how, um, what, do you need to provide for within a brand, uh, you know, however, whatever it is that you've kind of created for them, um, so that it can evolve itself to some degree, or it can maintain that? That's a tough question. <laughs> um, or maintain exactly what you've said. This kind of is really interesting idea is that the only ideas that will work in the future will seem apparently ridiculous in the present. So you have to put stuff in front of clients that go, that's ridiculous. Like, we would never do that. But that's where you have to get them to. Like, wow. Like, otherwise, if they aren't a little nervous, there isn't a little bit of tension, then it means they're, they're familiar. And, it'll, and that, that means stuff that everybody else would think of. Like, oh, that, I've seen that before. That means everybody's thinking of it or it's something they've seen before. When it gets strange. Spotify, when we showed it to them five years ago, no one was doing anything like that. Nor is Dropbox. 250 typefaces. What? super expression. I mean, super expressive because it has to be because now we're talking to creative people. And so they wanted it to be expressive. MailChimp, the, you know, with, with all the drawings from MailChimp came out of a drawing exercise that we did in San Francisco. All the designers on our team just drew. They, they made the most horrible, ugly, hideous, bad drawings you could ever imagine. But they had energy and sincerity and we went, who else could do bad drawings? Um, and what it had though, was sincerity, spontaneity, didn't look like this horrible vector graphic, that vector graphic work that everyone does. It's like a plague. And we said, well, that feels right to them. And it turns out that MailChimp was interested. They believed that what made them was that they were unusual. They were weird. They're not in San Francisco. They're not in New York. They're not in Chicago. They're not in Los Angeles. They're in Atlanta, Georgia, as an extraordinarily successful tech company. So they, they understand that their difference has been their differentness. So they... Uh, allowed us and supported us to go and create something that looked really and felt really different. And it's so strange in comparison to everything else that's going on in the marketplace that when it when it premiered, people were like, what is this? 
and people paid attention to it. I, you know, and now it's being copied. Like it, there's a new some content company that's completely ripped it off entirely. Um, but uh, that's okay because we needed to market new territory. Um, they were on the, they were they had already been on the frontier. They just didn't look like it. We we helped them give them a voice and working with their amazing in-house team and Gene Lee, who's an incredible client there, and Ben, their CEO. Um, they wanted to push out in the future five, six, seven years. And when you do that, then people will like, uh, people pay attention to you. If you want to do something that's tepid and conservative, and you've seen it before, you will, you'll be ignored. I think, uh, it's weird, I, 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 I've said this before, I think people used to say, they say the uh, power of a brand lives in, in both, uh, it's its own self, its own authentic self, which is always an internally facing question. And then, um, relevance, which is always how we congruent with the culture. And I, and I don't think that's true anymore. I think how you've got to be authentic, which means true to yourself, but you, when you deliver your product or your service or your identity, that has to be extraordinary. It has to be remarkable in some way. It has to be really powerful. Um, otherwise, in, in this market, you'll be ignored. Like someone did, a, I think, Havas or someone did a survey like most people said, if 95% of the world's brands vanish tomorrow, people wouldn't care. Like, we think they care, but they really don't. So if you're not extraordinary in some way, you're invisible, I think. Um, I'd like to end just uh, kind of coming back into this office and, and asking you kind of what, what's the kind of culture that you, you uh, have kind of fostered here at Collins? What, what is the kind of experience like of... of the people who work here, and what do you hope that maybe they even get out of this experience um, kind of working f for you, working at Collins? Um, there are two things that I think I measure when we're doing something right. Because we're, you know, we're, we're not a place for everyone. We're kind of a cross between a graduate liberal arts program, a hacker lab, um, a design school, and a teaching hospital, right? But a boot camp, too. Um, is my measure is, are the people here asking their friends to come and work here? And that's turned out to be true. We've, we're interviewing like three candidates right now, and um, they're all people who are friends of people who work here. And that's my measure. Like if your friends gonna work, if your friends say, hey, this is a good place to work, like they aren't gonna steal you wrong. Two, um, do, the, do, the, do our clients send their children to come and work here, and that's turned, uh, and that's turned out to be true. Like, um, we've had uh, a number of interns who've been here, who've been clients, who said, hey, um, my daughter or my son would love to work there this summer, and, and several of them come back year after year until they graduated from, from school. So that's my measure, that our clients want our kids to, their kids to work here, and our, and our staff wants our friends to work here. I mean, their friends to work here. If we do that, that means something's working. Um, and that's the, that's the place. I, I wanted to create a place where, where everybody learns and they learn every day. I think if people stay here, it's because they feel like they're learning. Great. Brian, thank you so much. Thank you. It was, it was great to have this conversation. Thank you. You should come back to, to the library after we figured out the, the, the Dewey Decimal System so I can find where the hell my copy of Beowulf went to. That was producer David Michon visiting Collins. A big thank you from myself, Nick, and Toby for listening. Thank you also to Brian and Tom from Collins for their time, to Sean Crook for editing this episode, to George Grinling for the theme music, 
and to May Thor for Private View's visual identity. To find other episodes, head to Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Or to find out more about Alfie, please visit our website, aufi.com. We're also on social media channels using the handle at askusforideas. And finally, please do share this episode, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and do listen to the others we put out as part of this series. Until next time. Thank you.